All right, so I'm very excited to be with you for the first Sunday of our stewardship campaign, um, which is a very churchy word, but um, the last few years we've been um, going back and looking at kind of our mission to love, serve, and transform. And so I get the pleasure of, of talking about love, which I have to admit, I'm like, well, this will be easy sermon to write. And I had a lot of difficulty with it, with it because um, we're looking at a very familiar scripture, a very familiar passage, but yet I still kind of struggled with it. And so I wanted to talk about how uh, what we're reading today, in my opinion, you may agree or disagree with me, is probably the most foundational thing that Jesus said in his time, that it's the most probably important part of the Bible, if I had to narrow it down, what Christians are, are known for. It is the verse that guides all that we do. It's a verse that tells us how we should live. It's a great summary of this entire book, which there's, as I talk to the kids, there's a lot in here. So trying to do book report on this would be very difficult. And so it's a really simple, very easy thing to follow. It's broken down. It's very crystal clear. And yet I feel like it's a thing that we get wrong the most, the thing that we struggle with the most, and it's the greatest commandment. It's found in Matthew and Mark and Luke, so very important. It's, it's repeated. It seems to be pretty clear, um, but again, like I said, it is really hard to kind of follow. So let's go ahead, and we're going to jump right into the scripture. So like I said, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that would be Jesus, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I really, really love road trips. Like, love them. Well, let me clarify. I love road trips with all adults. Um, <laughs> uh, traveling with kids is uh, an adventure. Is that a way to say it? I don't know. Um, I mean, how do they need so much stuff for such a short amount of time? I don't know. Um, but I, I love road trips. I've been fortunate enough to take quite a few. Uh, I know probably a lot of you throughout college um, uh, probably went home to visit your friend or new friend and see where they were from. So I made a lot of trips um, throughout college or on spring break or fall break um, and whatnot. Um, but a couple of my most favorite trips have happened post-college. My first one uh, happened, uh, I had this, I have this really good friend who is from Kansas, and she was born on Kansas Day, and she loves Kansas, which we all know Kansas Day is January 29th, that's right. And so her dream for her 21st birthday was like, I want to rent an RV with my best friend and travel around to all the small towns in Kansas. And that's exactly what we did. So we rented one of those um, Cruise America RVs. I don't know if you've seen that. They have like um, scenes of America like wrapped around them. I think I have a picture of my friend. So that's Lauren. That was her birthday. So that's her posing with our wonderful RV. 
And um, let's see, I have, think of another picture. So she made a binder uh, about all of our stops and facts. So, so she was Leslie Nope before there was Leslie Nope. Um, and so she had all the pictures and all the stops. And, you know, we went to things like the oldest roundabout in Kansas. Um, like the, one of the first postal, like just random, random things. So, of course, we found the most interesting people. And I don't think I've had a more hilarious trip in my life. Uh, more recently, I've taken a couple of long road trips. Um, actually, both were with Julie, your pastor. One was to Colorado, and one was, uh, we did a Southwest tour, and we went to uh, the Grand Canyon. Um, I decided not to share all the videos of Julie singing in the back seat, but if you'd like to see those videos, I can show you later. But I don't know about you, but you know, you have to pass the time because as beautiful as America is, there are some spots that are a little less not a scenic. Um, and so you have to pass the time. So one of the games that we like to play is uh, Would You Rather. Many, many of you have maybe played it. It's like, you know, would you rather visit here or there? Would you rather eat only this or that? Like, it's just a, a game of back and forth, back and forth. And and you have to choose something. You have to pick. And sometimes the choices are very, very, very hard. And some people get very, very upset with like, how could you choose that? You want to not do this or you want to go there instead of there. It's, it's a lot of pressure. And it's a silly game, but I think it's really funny to see how people pick and choose and often their reason. But I tell you that because I think that there's something going on this text today uh, if, you, if you were paying close attention, it says that they brought in this expert of the law, it explicitly says to test him, to test Jesus, to try to trip him up, to try to say, ha ha, I got you. But have you ever thought if Jesus would have said some other particular commandment, I don't know if you're familiar with all the commandments, but there's 613 of them, so there's quite a few to choose from. But what if, what if his answer would have said, I had to look up some, Oh, yes, the most important commandment, so glad you asked, is to sound the ram's horn in the sabbatical year. What, what would they have said after that? Or not to wear garments made of wool and linen mixed together. That's the most important. Or don't leave the fat out overnight from a sacrifice. I think about, those were all supposed to be funny. I really thought those were going to land better, but it's fine. <laughs> But I think about the religious leaders in with all of the, their laws, and there was, you know, they, they kind of combine them. There's the laws of, of, of purity, the laws of circumcision. Like, there are the, all these things. Do you think even that all of them agreed on what was most important? I have to kind of ask myself, because they're all human. They all had opinions and personal biases or personal experiences and so they may have been prompted to feel very strongly about a particular one that was different than their colleague. For a lot of people, a one commandment can trump the other. So I imagine there would have been quite the debate if Jesus would have named some other particular commandment. This is why what I think, uh, or this is why what Jesus says is so masterful. Because Jesus is seeing that picking and choosing and taking sides is extremely damaging to a community of faith. Choosing one law, one thing was going to miss out on so much. People were going to be left out. People were going to be overlooked. Some part of creation was going to be damaged and hurt. 
And Jesus knew that because people at that time were oppressed and pushed aside and forgotten and abused and starved. And I feel like religious leaders and Rome had gotten so consumed with just picking laws and fixating on them that their view of the world had gotten very small and who they cared about and who they loved was very small. They had blinders on to what was actually going around. I feel like all they cared about was, you can't do this, you can't do that. And when we read the Bible, some of us may look at it as a book of rules and that it's full of, well, don't do this and don't do that. That's how many people outside the church view this book, that it's just this rule book. And some may say, well, it's so black and white. It's so clear what it says. But I'd have to push back on that a little bit. One, because of translations and how we don't even have the English words for some of the ancient Hebrew and Greek. And how we read the Bible as United Methodists, we don't, we don't read it as literal. We don't read it and think, oh, that's, that's what it says and that's what it means for all time. So I can't quite agree that it's so clear that it's so black and white. Because I, I do feel like when we start to look at it as black and white and what is good and what is bad, that we can often miss out on the big picture. And I think that is what Jesus is trying to point out. He's saying you're so consumed with keeping one thing or a certain law that's important to you that you've missed out on everything else. You've missed out on loving all the people. You get obsessed about something that you end up choosing sides, picking sides, and at times hurting and harming others around you. And when I read the story of Jesus, I don't think Jesus is necessarily about choosing sides. And I know this statement probably has some holes in it. I'm sure if I thought more or if you brought some things to my attention, I'd say, yeah, that doesn't necessarily stand for everything he does. But overall, I see that Jesus is making the circle wider, letting more and more people in, accepting more and more people. Because God doesn't want to leave anyone out. And when we start following things or laws or ideologies that particularly are not of love, or not showing that we're loving our neighbor, that's when things get really messy. We end up worshiping laws and, and rules rather than God. But I'll admit, when I read scripture, it can be confusing at times to know uh, what should be kind of our inner canon. There's probably, if I were to ask this room, I'm sure some of you would say, one of my favorite verses is this. And maybe you don't know the exact wording or where it's found. I'm terrible at memorizing scripture. But there's probably some things where like, I know this is really important to me. For some reason, it is my inner canon. It's what I, I hold dear to, to my heart. But I do think there are some verses that we think, okay, what do I do with this? So a few years back, Adam Hamilton, if you've ever been in a small group in the United Methodist Church, you've probably done a study by Adam Hamilton because he's written about five million of them. And he is uh, the head pastor of Church of the Resurrection, or Resurrection, it used to be called CORE, um, in Kansas, no big deal, the largest United Methodist Church in Kansas. Um, and he, I'm from Kansas in case you didn't know that, and um, he, he came out this, uh, this blog several years ago, and it was so incredibly helpful to so many, including myself, about scripture. 
And he divided uh, that scripture falls into three different buckets. Maybe some of you know this. The first bucket is that scriptures that express God's heart, character, and timeless will for human beings. The second bucket is scriptures that express God's will in a particular time, but are no longer binding. And the third bucket is scriptures that never fully express the heart, character, or will of God. And so bucket number one, the ones that express God's heart forever, would be love God and love neighbor, or things about justice, mercy, kindness found in Micah. Bucket two, things that are no longer binding, would be things like animal sacrifices, clean and unclean foods. And then bucket three would be those tricky scriptures, those scriptures that were maybe it says that God commanded to kill all people. Things that we think, oh, is that really what God asked? And having this lens has been so helpful for me in reading scripture. And it's just another tool for us to use as United Methodists. Because when we read scripture, we take in reason. He, you know, we're, we're instructed to use our brains. And we use our personal experience when reading scripture. And so keeping these three buckets has reminded me that to give so much more, so much more attention, so much more time, so much more devotion to things like love God and love neighbor, rather than getting tripped up in some verses that are hard to follow or hard to interpret or maybe just plain horrify me. See, keeping in mind loving God and loving neighbor has completely changed how I see the world and those around me. And maybe you're like, that's obvious, Reagan. How, how have you not always thought about that? But there's been times of my life where I've gotten distracted by other scripture or other things that I thought were the most important. So do I struggle with loving God and loving neighbor at times? A lot. I do. Have you met other people? <laughs> it's hard. And plus, our lives get crazy. Do I always give my best to God? Absolutely not. But when I take a moment and let this reminder of, okay, love God, love neighbor. When I let that go through my mind and my heart and remind myself that that is the most important, I feel like even if it's just for a moment, I feel like I'm a better follower of Christ and that I'm actually living into my discipleship. So I wonder what it would look like if we all stepped back. If we pause before saying something or deciding something or signing up for something or whatever it may be, if you took a moment and said, okay, does this reflect that I love God? And you take a moment. And then you ask yourself a second question says, does this reflect that I love my neighbor? I think we all need to take a beat before we take action, before we make a decision, before we commit. So if we look at the big picture of our lives, here's some things we could probably ask ourselves. Is the way I structure my week allow me to spend intentional time on my spiritual life? That's when I struggle with. <laughs> Do my kids have time to come to church or are they in too many activities? Is church the first thing to be cut when my life gets too busy? Is my behavior harming or hurting my neighbor? Is the way I spend money showing I love God and love neighbor? Ooh, it's a hard one. 
Even things like, is the way I vote showing I love God and love my neighbor? Loving God and loving neighbor means orienting our life, creating space for that, dedicating our life to those main causes. And why it's hard is because our society, our lives, our demands do not naturally make that possible. But I do believe when we start making, we start making loving God a priority and our neighbor, other parts of our life become less important. We start to see that maybe those things that we thought we couldn't live without are in fact not as valuable. We don't hold as tightly to them. That could be status or money or jobs or stuff, you name it. And I think we're in a time where we need a world in which people are um, not so much into loving themselves and so much about their personal causes or things of power, but people that are looking outward and how they can love God and how they can love those around them those that can expand their definition of a neighbor. Because yes, a neighbor is those that are right here with us, but our neighbor is also people we will never meet. I think sometimes we forget that our neighbor has such a bigger definition. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I feel like those closest to me get the worst of me. And those that, are, that I never meet, I'm just like, well, it doesn't matter. And that's not how we're supposed to think. When I think about the ministry of Christ, he didn't just sit in a temple. He was always on the go, always on the move. He was not allowing himself, or he didn't allow himself to shut out the pain and suffering or needs of the world. So he went to the people and not to people that were his kin or people that were familiar. We know he challenged his disciples in their perceptions of the views of Samaritans or tax collectors or anyone with power those who were sick, who had leprosy. He was trying to get the point across to his disciples that you have to expose yourself to different viewpoints and cultures and ways of living, simply different people. And challenges people to say, you want to know how to love God? You want to know how to love me? Love all of my people. And so for us, maybe um, reading the same kinds of books, consuming the same kind of news, spending time with only like-minded people um, is not good because it creates a bubble in our lives. And then we can start to get locked into caring about just a few things. I am very guilty of hanging out with people that are, think just like me. This one's really, really hard for me. I'm sure it is for you too, because you want to be around people that think like you and agree with you all the time. But when we start to do that, Again, we can only start to care for a few things. We miss out on things. And we become like these religious leaders who couldn't step back and see the big picture because they were so busy studying rules. And for us, sometimes we can only care about a few things rather than see all of God's world. Loving God and loving neighbor has never been about following rules. Being a Christ follower should have never been about rules or not doing this or not doing that. It's about loving God and loving neighbor. These verses are so simple and yet such a heavy request. But when you are at a crossroads, when you feel stressed, when you struggle, when you feel anger, in all of our moments, what a powerful frame for our lives to ask ourselves, what if we use that and said, am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? Much easier said than done. I haven't figured this out. I don't know how to live this out. I don't know if any of us really know how to do this well. I read this and I think, gosh, it's so simple. Why is it so hard? 
Why is it so hard? But I think there's a desire in this room, a desire in this church that we could live this out well. And that perhaps, perhaps after a little while, maybe we as Christians can be known once more for how we love. Wouldn't that be a nice win for us? That'd be a great day. So let's come together and work to make that dream a reality. Amen.